Good morning. Well, uh, Pastor Victor is not here. Uh, as many of you know, uh, he's gone to be with, uh, with his daughter this week. Um, and so he called me uh, uh, Wednesday and then asked if I'd be willing to step in. Um, and, uh, and he said uh, that, that he's already done a good bit of legwork in the next chapter of Hebrews. And so he's like, well, don't, don't continue in Hebrews. <laughs> you, know, uh, you can just do whatever. And it's always hard to know what to do when you have a wide open door like that. I'm like, oh, I do whatever I want. That's great. Um, I'm, I'm much more comfortable just kind of carrying on in what's already been established because then, then if someone gets offended, it's like, well, I, you know, that's just where we are in the book, you know. You can't really, can't really take responsibility. But um, there always seems to be, and I've, I've said this before, so if you've heard me say this before, it's going to be repetitive, but there always seems to be two or three ideas or burdens that are percolating. I like that word percolating uh, in my heart or in my thoughts so that I feel like the Spirit constantly is drawing, drawing me back to to think about, to meditate on, and to, at some point, share from, from Scripture. Um, and so when PV asked me to share this morning, and you know, he said, you know, don't continue in Hebrews, I thought, well, this is probably a good time for it. Um, like I said, there's, there's always a danger when I, 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 really like, I, I really like the way we do things at Calvary, where we just go through a book, you know, um, because, uh, because there, there's accountability in that. Right, there's accountability. I, I never want to be up here with, with my own agenda, with, well, this is what I think the church needs to hear, and I'm going to target someone with this message. And there's always that danger when you go off into something topical, like someone's going to feel targeted. And, um, so this is my disclaimer uh, that this has been in my heart for a while. And, um, and it has more to do with what I see in the world around us and in the church as a whole than than so much what we see maybe in our own local community here. And I really believe that over the last several years, um, in this area that we're going to look at today, that the church has, has it, the, the church is no longer influential in this area, and now we are being influenced in this area. I believe that we have been emboldened in all the wrong ways. We have been emboldened to to cast off restraint, to adopt the, um, the standards and um, the methods and the models of the world around us, instead of clinging to holiness, instead of submitting and subjecting every thought and word to the person and the cause of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, so that is what this message has sprung forth. I, I hope, you know, uh, I... I pray that, that, that it will be received as such, and, um, and I'm even going to frame it in such a way uh, to reflect the season. Um, it's not really a Thanksgiving message per se, but I do want to share with you all from Scripture verses that I am thankful for, verses that have proven to be a guardrail in my life, that have proven to be a hedge of protection around my own frail flesh and that God has used to bring life and freedom into me, and, and I hope and pray life and freedom to those around me. And so I pray they bless you as well. Um, truly, I am thankful for these passages, and so I hope that when we're all done here this morning, you will also be thankful for them. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, we're going to be in the book of James. So if you open up to James chapter 3, and this is a very familiar passage. I've been I've had most of, my, uh, most of my adult ministry has been in youth ministry, and so in youth ministry, this is like a recurring uh, chapter. I've lost count how many times we go through this, but every time I've gone through it, either as a recipient or as a teacher, uh, that the Spirit has brought new revelation to me, a new challenge, a new conviction to me. Uh, and so if, you, if, if you're well-versed in this chapter, then the challenge for you is to prayerfully receive it with fresh ears and a fresh heart because the Spirit can always do fresh things with God's Word. Uh, and so we're going to be reading about uh, how we express ourselves in words, how we manage these things that, 
that just go crazy in our mouths, uh, our, our tongues, um, and what the, what the Scripture has to say about taming our tongue. So, James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So that's an interesting way to start uh, a passage about taming the tongue. But it seems that James, and if, you're not, if you don't know already, the, the, the James who wrote this letter is not uh, James the Apostle. This is James, the half-brother of, of Jesus himself. And so um, he has a very interesting faith journey, a very interesting testimony. If you know what, what little we have about him from Scripture, you know that he, was not, that he, he had not bought into all the hype around Jesus to begin with. He was one of the indignant brothers who thought Jesus was out of his mind. Um, and then at some point, we, we don't know when or how or what the circumstances were, at some point he comes to saving faith in Christ as Messiah, and he becomes a leader in the church. And so all throughout the book of, of Acts, we see James, this James, being very influential in, in leading the church. And as he's writing this letter, uh, the church is experiencing uh, persecution, they're experiencing growing pains, they're experiencing false doctrines, they're experiencing all the things that have continued to plague the church for the last 2,000 years. Uh, and so his book is very practical. Uh, it's, very, um, it's very much about how to live out your faith in practical day-to-day ways. And so here, uh, he starts by, by saying, but by talking about that not many of us should become teachers in the church. And so it seems that he was concerned about how many people in the new early church were, were inviting upon themselves this title of teacher, this, 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 this position of influence. And he says, you know, really there shouldn't be that many teachers in the church. And, um, and this, this issue itself, this, this one verse could probably be its own full sermon uh, in, in, in how we discern spiritual anointing and how we discern who God has or hasn't called to, to be teachers. But it's important that, um, that as we read this one verse, we, we, we note that James isn't talking about qualifications at any point. He doesn't say, um, unless you're gifted, unless you're experienced, unless you're trained. He doesn't say any of that. Uh, and it's always awkward to teach this verse because I'm up here teaching, right? And I'm up here teaching and saying you shouldn't be teaching. But, uh, so sometimes I feel like I shouldn't be teaching. And if you know anything about my testimony, you know that you know, 25 years ago, this is the last thing I had imagined myself ever doing as an adult. So um, God has other plans. But for James, he says, not many of us should become teachers. Again, doesn't have anything to do with your life outside the church. He's talking about a, a place of influence and instruction within the church knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And so, yes, God has appointed and called teachers in the church, called and gifted individuals to unpack the word, but to do so with humility and obedience. Um, Why? Because teaching carries with it a higher responsibility and a higher accountability before the Lord. Um, It's almost like James is having a a reverse recruiting drive. You know, he's saying, before you take upon yourself this title, this role, this position of teacher, um, really think about it. Think twice about, about what you are presuming. It should be done with fear and, trem- and trembling. It's a high and holy calling uh, to get up here or to get up anywhere and, and presume to speak for the Lord. And James says, that's not something to take lightly. It's not something that we just should say, oh, this is a person. Oh, you're a teacher. You're a teacher. You're a teacher. Um, No. Um, And again, it's not about ability or availability. It's about the accountability of it. Because James says, we're going to be held to a higher standard. Um, Anytime you find yourself in a position of spiritual influence, God will hold you accountable to how you influence others either toward Jesus or away from Jesus. And um, I'm sure a lot of us can imagine or can remember or can think of examples of, of people taking spiritual authority and the testimony they are raising for Jesus is not a good one. 
And in fact, they're pushing people away from the gospel. Now, Jesus says that the gospel is offensive. We know that. We know that it's not about making sure people are happy and are comfortable with what they're hearing. The gospel is uncomfortable, right? But we can add to the offense from our own flesh. We can very easily add to the offense of the gospel from our own flesh. Um, And that's why James is saying you really need to be careful when you have a, a platform of influence. And it makes me think about Moses. If you guys remember the story of Moses, you know, uh, a great godly leader, God says about Moses, for any other prophet, I appear to them in dreams and visions or in signs. For my buddy Moses here, I speak to him face to face. You know, like we're, we're that close. Uh, Moses was as close with God as, as a human being could be before, um, before the new covenant. It took one slip up. It took one time Uh, where Moses took his authority and his influence rashly, and he strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And you're like, what's the big deal? Well, because that rock represents something important. And because he misrepresents Jesus in that moment, uh, he's disqualified from entering the promised land. And so so James is saying, look, uh, it's, you know, I know the church is young. You guys are still figuring things out. It seems like there's a lot of people that want to be influential. It seems like there's a lot of people that think that they ought to have, uh, have uh, a platform to speak, have the opportunity to teach. And certainly in the church, like I said, God, God doesn't anoint people for those things, but he says do so with humility. Do so with reverence. Do so with the understanding that, um, that for whatever influence you cast, as you teach, God will hold you accountable. Um, if there isn't a degree of fear and trembling every time we teach from God's word, then I don't think we're taking this warning strictly enough. So there's a lot more we could unpack with that. But suffice it to say that uh, James, is, James is saying, just be careful. Be, be careful what you presume upon yourself. Why? Again, because we shall receive a stricter judgment, we're going to be held to a higher degree of accountability. Why is that important? Verse 2, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. And so the reason for this warning, and as we segue into our main theme today, uh, James says, it's, um, you, you, you should... Teach with, with a sobering approach because understand that, yeah, like um, not only are you going to be held accountable, but all of us make mistakes. All of us have our, our, our pitfalls and our temptations and our struggles. But for someone to be able to control their words, to control their tongues, um, he says no one can do that. He says, it's almost impossible. In fact, James will say later on, it's impossible um, to fully control our tongues. He's going to describe our tongues as a wild, raging fire that just burns out of control, consuming everything in its path. He says, that's bad enough within the context of your home or within the context of your job or within the context of the privacy when no one else can hear when that force, when that destructive force takes the platform in the pulpit and now affects the whole church, James is saying, guys, we need to be careful with this. This is, this is a destructive force, and it should not be handled lightly. Um, so um, some of us will read that. We'll read where he says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, um, also able to bridle the whole body. Some of us will... We'll read that and we'll think to ourselves, well, if, if you have to be perfect to control your, your tongues, why should I even bother? I can't be perfect. Uh, and and if, 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 if that's what it takes to be good at this, if that's what it takes to, um, to be what God's called us to be, then it's hopeless. Why, why bother trying? The idea of perfection that James is using here, he's not saying perfection the way we think about Jesus as being morally, spiritually perfect without any flaw, without any mistake. He means um, spiritually mature. Um, the word actually means complete. Um, and, and not that, like Paul said, Paul, Paul even said about himself, not that I've obtained all this in this life, but you press onward in it. And so the idea is that the true sign or, or one of the true signs of spiritual maturity uh, is that we 
are able to control or that our, our tongues and our words are under control. Um, we'll talk more about in a couple of verses whose control they come under. That to me is the key idea in this whole passage. Because if you walk away from this sermon and you think, oh, that's another teaching about taming the tongue. I know, I know, I gotta control my words, I gotta control my mouth, I gotta control my thoughts, blah, 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 blah. Okay, then you're missing the point. And, 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 and you're just gonna encounter a failure after failure after failure. Because it's not about us controlling our tongues. It's about us asking ourselves who is in control of our tongues? Who is in control of our thoughts? And our thoughts give, give pathway to our words, okay? And so while James's main focus in this passage um, on tongues is for teachers and leaders in the church, what I want us to see uh, is that the whole testimony of Scripture is that just because you're not a teacher in a church doesn't mean that you, you get a free pass, um, just because you might think, well, that's not me. I'm not a teacher. I'm not, I don't have any influence. I'm good. No, 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 no. Um, the, the words, the, the, the warning that, that James gives here is applicable to all of us, and we're going to bring out other scripture to reinforce that truth. Um, the warning applies to all believers, not just those who preach or teach. And so as we read the next few verses, my guess is going to be that there won't be a single person in this room who who will be unable to relate in some way. All right, so let's, let's move on. Verse 3, talking about taming the tongue, right? Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire, Kindles. I imagine when James wrote that, he didn't have in mind these like little ponies or horses, you know, that uh, that are. I don't. I don't know anything about horses, by the way. I'm about to explain more about that in a minute. Um, but I imagine that James has in mind these massive war horses that the Romans would would ride into battle, um, and he says, "Look, that's a that's a huge animal," and. All it takes is a small piece of metal or whatever they use in the mouth and the reins to control it and steer it wherever it goes. Um, and he says, your tongue is that way. Uh, it's a great force. It's got all this power behind it, but it's a small member of your body. Years ago, uh, I, took, uh, our, I took a youth group on a rafting trip. We would do that uh, almost every fall, and then I fell out of the raft one year and almost drowned, and then I stopped doing it. So. Um, <laughs> And that was my, my message from God, stop, right? Um, but one year we went, and, and, and there, there were always extra things to do. And so we could choose to do, like, paintball or rock climbing or horseback riding. And so one year I was like, well, it's never a good idea for the youth pastor to go paintballing because then you become the target, right? Everyone, there's no teams at that point. It's like, everyone get Jonathan. Um, and clearly I'm not built for rock climbing, okay? So I was like, well, I'll try riding a horse, um, and, and these, you know, these were like these, these tame, uh, like farm horses. They were accustomed to being ridden. They were accustomed to being around people. They had the saddles and all those things. Um, and so, and so I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm, I'm riding the horse. I'm there. The horse is there. You know, we're, we're moving, we're moving at a pace that I think is agreeable to both of us. Right. Um, and, um, and I have no experience riding a horse and, uh, I, I don't know what happened. And I'm building this up way more than I need to. It's not like I got thrown off or anything. It was, it was a small thing. But I'm not sure how this happened. All of a sudden, the horse, I don't know where we lost communication. At some point, the horse thought that I wanted to go faster. <laughs> and I did not want to go any faster. I was like, this is where I want to be. Um, and, uh, and just for a brief moment, it wasn't even a gallop. I'm making a, like a mountain out of a, out of a molehill. Um, it wasn't even that fast. It was just a little bit faster. The horse started trotting instead of a nice, you know, slow, gentle walk. And I panicked. I was like, I don't know how to stop this thing, you know? And, and I have the reins in my hand. Technically, I have control. Technically, the horse is responding to what I'm doing. And maybe, maybe I accidentally, like, kicked it a little harder, or I don't know what. Um, but in that moment, I was like, I want someone else to come and take over this situation, right? Um, 
And it dawned on me, I, 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 learned, I learned a lot about horseback riding that day. I learned, first of all, I probably, I probably should not be horseback riding. Um, but I also learned that like, it, it doesn't, it, in that moment, it didn't matter that the horse had the bit and the bridle and that I had the reins. It did not matter um, that I was in quote-unquote control, okay? If, if it was up to me to get that horse where I wanted it to go or to have, you know, a fun journey, um, it, it wasn't going to go well. And I haven't ridden a horse since, by the way. Uh, so I know there's people here who like horses and who are all about the horses. That's great. Okay, but I'm done. Um, and so the same is true about boats and, and, and rudders. Because while it's true that a skilled captain can steer a ship any way he desires by controlling, what's this thing called? I don't even know what it's called. You know, like the, the big wheel the steering wheel, I'm sure it's not. I don't know about boats, but I'm almost positive it's not called a steering wheel. Um, you should know. What is it? A ship's wheel. Isn't it called like a mast? I don't know. In the, in the movies, you know, that big wooden thing that everyone... Anyways, while it's true that a skilled captain behind one of those uh, can, can steer this massive ship with, with, just, with just that wheel and a small rudder, it's equally true that I am not a skilled captain, and that if it was up to me, if I was the one steering the boat, and I had to navigate between other boats, between waves, between islands and rock formations, and whatever else we're having to dodge, because I'm sure boats dodge things all the time. Um, again, it's, it's not going to be a good journey. It's going to be a very bumpy ride. Okay? I, if, if, if I had a boat, and there was someone in my boat who, who was a skilled, experienced boat driver, um, I would much rather hand the control over to them. I'd be like, I don't care that it's my boat. I don't care that I paid for it. If I want to get where I want to go and I want the ride to be as, as, as pleasant as possible, I'm going to let someone else who knows what they're doing, who has the experience, who has the training, take control. Okay? Um, you guys see where I'm going with this, that with our tongues, with our words, we are wrestling in futility if we are constantly trying to master our own body, if we're constantly trying to master our own tongue. We can get so far with that. You can learn things. You can learn safeguards. You, you can improve. I would much rather give control over to the one who's, who's perfect. I would much rather say, Jesus, take the wheel, right? Uh, I would much rather be like, Lord, I'm making a mess. And the more I try to control it, the worse it seems to get. I would rather you control every word I speak. Um, the third metaphor, I think, is even more explicitly so. Uh, but the idea of a fire and a wildfire, you know, uh, every time I'm... I'm in a position where there's a bonfire being made, and someone's like, who's going to make the fire? I'm like, not it, right? Um, and, uh, and maybe some of you know what it's like to be in a, in a situation where, where when someone's asking who's going to make the fire, someone's like, hey, I'll go get a gas can, and, and it'll be easy. It'll be fine. This is going to be fine. And, you know, it's like famous last words, right? You know, it's just, who, who do you trust? Uh, to, to not just to make, like making a fire is the easy part, right? No one can make a fire. Learning to control that fire, fire can be a force for good. It can bring life. It can bring warmth. It can bring um, comfort. Or it can be a force for great evil. It can be a force of great destruction. It can bring death. It can bring separation. It can bring all kinds of calamity. And who would you trust? You know, some random guy with a gas can saying, I got this or a trained professional firefighter who knows what they're doing, hopefully knows what they're doing. Right? Again, um, it's not about... The, the, the goal for me when it comes to taming the tongue, the goal for me when it comes to thinking about the words that I speak, the goal for me isn't control, but surrender of control to the one who knows best. So that's what I want to impress upon us this morning. That's what I feel like... That's what I believe this passage should be telling us the more you struggle and strive for control, the more you realize how little control you have. Verse 6. 
And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. These are strong words. It's, it's like, like you can almost hear James's past experiences, and he's like, guys, this is, take this seriously. It is a fire. It is destructive. He, he says the, the tongue itself is set on fire by hell itself. I mean, obviously, he's using a little bit of hyperbole there, um, but, but he, he can't stress it enough, it feels like. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And I think, think about how many, how many people of influence, faith leaders, teachers, goodness knows politicians, celebrities, Think about how many lives and careers and ministries have been completely undone because of a moment of, of not controlling your tongue. Just a moment is all it takes. Um, and, uh, and we are completely undone by it. Not, if, if, if it's not, like I said, our lives, a lot of times it's the ministry itself. How many churches have been undone because we don't give Jesus complete control of our words. And in case we miss the point of the illustration, James makes it explicitly clear, again in verse 8, in case you're still thinking, well, maybe if I try hard enough, if I just set enough rules for myself, maybe I can, I can, I can conquer this. James says, no man can tame the tongue. There it is. There's, there's your answer. If you're trying to tame the tongue, you can't. All right, James says, no man can do it. Um, and it's, it's remarkable to me, like, like James says, how, um, how many different kinds of wild animals humanity has tamed to do crazy things. Like, we've, we've somehow trained killer whales to jump through giant hula hoops. Like, how do you, where do you even start with that, you know? And, and, and what makes you want to do that? We, 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 we train lions and bears and, you know. It's just the tigers, and you say, oh, my. Uh, we, we, we train these, these, these beasts that are bigger than us, stronger than us. They could kill us in a second if they really wanted to and thought about it hard enough. Um, but we can't seem to bring this body part under control, right? It just rages, and it causes far more destruction and hurt and pain than any of those other animals uh, could do. Um, and the real heart of the matter for us, I think, uh, is in verse 9. James says, with it, with these tongues, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who, and women who have been made in the similitude or the image, who have been made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. These things ought not to be so. This is the real heart of the issue for God, okay? Um, God doesn't care so much when we talk about the weather. You know, we can complain about the weather all day. I don't think he cares a whole lot about what we say about our sports teams. <laughs> um, you know, we can, we can use our words in any other way. When our words begin to target another human being, and if you guys see a qualification in that passage that I don't see, please tell me afterward. It doesn't say a, a Christian. It doesn't say someone who thinks like we do or who goes to the same kind of church that we do or believes the thing, same things we do. It just says, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God. Is there a single human being on this planet who has not been made in the image of God? And so there's a lot that we could unpack there about what that means, what it means to be made in the image of God. But I think the big idea there is that when we use our words, when, when we're speaking to or about another human being, and with our words, we are in some way tearing them down, 
in their minds or in the minds of others, God takes it personally. We can, we can conclude all kinds of things about what it means to be made in the image of God, but I think James's point there is if we use our words to tear down another human being, God takes it personally because it's a human being that he has lovingly, intentionally designed to bear his image Regardless of what choices they're making, this is where we get in trouble. We think, but they've done this, and they've said this, and if you can find those qualifications in this passage, I will retract everything I've said. I don't think it's in there. Um, God takes it personally because he loves all of us. So the question is, again, who are we giving control of our mouth um, there are a couple of proverbs that I would like to share uh, because I try to keep this practical as well. I don't want it just to be these high, lofty ideas. Um, what I love about proverbs is that it really brings it down to the practical, to the day-to-day. Like, here's a practical way to look at this. And then we'll look at words from Jesus himself before we close. Because the question is, the question that we need to ask ourselves as we read what James writes, okay, this is, this is a big deal. Clearly, it's important. It's important to God. I get it. How? James, you've already said that that we can't tame our tongue. You've already said that it's impossible. You've also already said that God takes it personally when we don't. It seems like we're being set up to fail. It seems like there's no, um, like, what do we do? How do I tangibly and practically and day-to-day give Jesus and the Holy Spirit in me um, full control over my tongue? So um, the first thing I want to say is that we need to stop giving ourselves excuses, this isn't from a part of Scripture, but I've um, been around long enough to where I have heard and I have given every imaginable excuse for not reigning in my words. Uh, and before we can receive Scripture to change us, we need to admit that, that sometimes we just make excuses, and we need to stop making excuses. The Bible does say that offenses will come. I said that earlier. Sometimes we use that as an excuse. We're like, well, if they're offended, then the Bible says we're going to be offended. Jesus does say that offenses will come. In the same breath, he says, woe to those through whom they come. Right? Um, sometimes we say, um, I'm just blunt. You know, I just tell it like it is. I don't sugarcoat things. I don't beat around the bush. And, uh, and so, you know, I can't, I can't be held responsible because that's, that's just the way I am. I'm just blunt. I just tell it like it is. Um, Jesus was direct. I don't, I don't think we could say Jesus was, was indirect. But he was also gentle. And we deceive ourselves when we think that we cannot also be direct and gentle and loving at the same time. Being blunt doesn't, doesn't necessitate being harsh. Um, and Jesus was not always as direct as we imagined him to be. That's the whole point of a parable, isn't it? He even tells his disciples, I speak in parables so that they won't get it because they're not ready for it yet. So when we offer that as a justification for our, our irresponsibility with our words, I'm just being blunt, I'm just being direct, I'm not beating around the bush, we're really not following in the footsteps of Christ. Jesus was more concerned that his words were effective to the person he was sharing them to, not just that they were true. He was absolutely concerned that they were true, but he also made sure they were effective. We also say things like, hey, the truth hurts, and and it's a harsh world out there, and I'm just trying to prepare this person for living in a harsh world. Not everyone's going to be nice to them, and so I'm, I'm helping toughen them up. Well, the world is harsh. We're not supposed to be of the world. And the people around us are going to have plenty of experiences with the world without us, without the church having to add to it. When people encounter an image bearer of God who is following Jesus as Lord, they ought to encounter a glimpse of the kingdom, not, a, not more glimpses of the world around us, right? Here's the one that I'm the worst at. Anyone who's been around me long enough knows I love to joke. I love to mess around. Um, I love laughter. But sometimes 
sometimes this is, this is me preaching to me. Um, sometimes we can, we can cover up our, our words by saying things like, oh, I'm just joking. You guys know, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And there's, there's, there's no safer way to say what you want to say um, and then to not be responsible for it than to say, oh, I'm just kidding. Because you, the, the, the good news for you is you get to say it anyway. And then if the other person takes it personally or is offended by it, you can be like, oh, well, you're just taking it too seriously. You need to calm down, right? Develop some thicker skin. I'm just joking. Um, if, there's so many times I wish I could take back things I said because I was just joking or just kidding. Because it doesn't matter the intent. That's the next thing I'm going to talk about. Like, the intent doesn't matter a lot of times. Uh, the effect of the words matters more than the intent of the words. The last one, that, the last excuse that I'm guilty of and that I've heard a lot is, is, is that, that, well, this isn't what I meant to say. This isn't what I intended to say. I, I meant this in love. If you don't take it in love, well, that's on you. Again, we should speak in love. And sometimes speaking in love does mean saying hard things. Sometimes speaking in love does mean confronting difficult issues. Um, but if you have to tell the person that, that you're saying it in love, there's a good chance that they're not receiving it in love. If you have to describe how what you're saying is meant to be loving, not all the time, there's always exceptions, but most of the time, if you have to let them know it's in love, there's a good chance that they're not receiving it in love. And if they're not receiving it in love, there's a good chance it's not effective. So we need to die to our excuses. We need to die to the justifications before these next few passages can truly have effect for the kingdom. Paul would say, die to your flesh, die to our flesh. And so uh, the first proverb I want to share is from Proverbs 10, <clears throat> Proverbs 10, 19. Um, let me just say also, there's over 120 passages of scripture talking about how we use our words. Over 120, uh, Old Testament and you. There's a bunch of them in Proverbs. Jesus talks a good bit about it. Uh, Paul and the other New Testament writers, they write about it. Uh, we're only looking at a few. There's, there's no way to be comprehensive this morning. So I'm, I'm just picking the ones that I have found to be uh, healing in my life. I have found to be protective in my life that, that protects me from myself, that protects others from myself. Um, and so th th those are just, that's why I chose the ones I chose. But there's so many more. Um, that God has for us. So Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The multitude of words, sin is not lacking. The more words, it's, it's just a matter of percentages at this point, you know? The more words you put out there, the greater chance you are to say something that you will regret. The, the greater the odds are that you will say something wrong or that you'll be misunderstood. In a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Practicing restraint in our words, in my opinion, is one of the most important spiritual disciplines to pray for the Holy Spirit to work in us. Holy Spirit, teach me restraint in my words. And, and again, sometimes we, 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 we turn that, we say, well, does that mean I, I just have to keep silent? Does that mean that I'm not allowed to have an opinion? Does that mean I'm not, I'm not allowed just to speak my mind? <laughs> I'll leave those questions between you and God because I feel like that's more flesh, really, than it is uh, a legitimate observation. All I can tell you is what the Bible says, and the Bible says, he who restrains his lips is wise. Um, people will often tell me that, that I'm good at restraining my words. They'll say, oh, Jonathan, you're just you're so good at, at picking your words and choosing your words wisely. And I'm here to tell you this morning that I'm not. I'm here to tell you that, that the Holy Spirit is, Holy Spirit's really good at that. But in myself, um, restraint is not, is not a quality that I have naturally. But I'm highly motivated at this point in my life to allow the Holy Spirit that control because I have experienced the consequences of this passage 
I have experienced the consequences repeatedly more times than I care to remember, the consequences of casting off restraint with my words and then looking into the face of, of a dear friend, seeing the effect my words have had um, on them, and having to live with that. And no amount of saying, I was just kidding, or I didn't mean it that way, or, you know, or any of those things, um, no amount of that makes that mental image go away. So um, it's not about, oh, this person's just really good at it, this person's, and I'm just not really good at it. No, it's about uh, how, <laughs> how many consequences do you want to live with in your life before we say, Holy Spirit, take over. Um, restraint doesn't come easy, um, but it's worth it. And I have, I have decided at this point in, the, in my life, it's, it's not worth it for me to get the words that I want to get out, because believe me, my flesh and my heart, my deceitful heart, so often, they just want to, they, these are the words that deserve to be heard. Um, and, and, and I've decided that's it's no longer worth it. None of that. It's no longer worth it. Um, I'd, rather, I'd rather the Holy Spirit do what he wants. And if that means I got to take some licks, if that means that I have to swallow my pride, if that means that um, I don't get the satisfaction of saying what's on my mind, and so be it. The next proverb is Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It's a powerful verse. And it's hard, and in my opinion, this is hard to break down completely because I believe there's some mystery uh, involved with how we understand this. What does it mean that death and life are in the power of the tongue? I believe we won't fully understand the consequences and implications of that verse until we're in eternity in the presence of God. Um, but somehow, in some way, by God's design, part of what it means to be an image bearer of God is that God has given us power in our words to speak life or to speak death into those around us. And he's called, a, he's called on us to choose which one we're going to embrace. Will you speak life into the people around you, or will your words bring death? Will they, now, you know, I don't think he means literal death. I don't think he's literally saying you can talk someone to death. You might feel that way sometimes, like you're being talked to death. Um, but obviously, he's not saying, you know, you can kill someone with your words. Um, but with your words, you can, you can cause separation. Biblically speaking, separation is death. With your words, you can cause division. With your words, you can, you can push someone further and further away from the peace that passes understanding that God has for them. And if by your words, they are pushed further from that peace, then you're speaking death into someone else. On the other hand, we could speak life. With our words, we can draw others closer into who they are in Christ. We can, we, we can, we can influence and push opinions and thoughts towards another person in a way that, that brings love and grace and mercy upon them. And that is life. And so the proverb says, the power of death and life are in the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. What that means is, whichever one we choose, um, we're going to have the consequences of it. In God's economy, in God's sovereignty, we will eat the fruit of whether we speak life or death into those around us. Again, I don't think we can fully understand what that means. Um, there again, I'd rather not find out. I'd rather speak life. And then, speaking of God's economy, uh, the last passage I want to read from is from Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 12. Verses 36 through 37. And I don't know how, how the two Proverbs hit your hearts. I don't know how those are received. I know that I know my heart. And I know that in my heart, I can still make excuses. I can still hear those things and still find ways to justify my flesh governing my words instead of the Spirit. Uh, this, these words from our Savior are difficult to fully embrace and at the same time still cling to pride. If you're still clinging to pride in the way that you speak, 
and you take this passage seriously and literally, now I don't know how that's possible. Jesus says, he's talking to um, Pharisees. He's, this, these Pharisees have just, they've just thrown out a rash accusation. They're saying, oh, Jesus, you're, you, you must be a servant of the devil. That's, that's, that's why you're doing these things. That's why you can perform these miracles because you know, you're, you're just serving the evil one, and they're, they're, they're trying to find any possible reason or excuse not to accept him for who he is. They're trying to find anything to discredit him in the eyes and the ears of those around them. So they're just hurling out false accusations. Uh, and Jesus says, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The word for idol is the Greek word argos. It means lazy. It means to neglect the labor which you ought to do. To neglect doing the labor which you ought to perform, being lazy. Um, it doesn't mean being malicious. It doesn't mean um, being intentional. It means, Jesus is literally saying, um, for every lazy, unthought-out word you speak, you're going to have to give an account for that before the Lord one day. I've spoken a lot of lazy, unthought-out words in my life, and plenty of times when I should have put more thought and prayer into what I have said, into the words I allow to escape my mouth, I should have put more thought and prayer into those things, but because I was too lazy or too angry or too offended or too selfish to do the work, uh, I just let them fly. And so if I take Jesus at his word, then that means I'll have to account for those words one day that I spoke. Um, I would rather account for those words now. I would rather say, okay, I was wrong. I'll, I'll Let's, let's, let's make it right now. I don't want to wait to be in his presence to be given accounting for that. I'd rather account for those words now um, and allow God's truth to tear through every excuse that I come up with. When I use my words to manipulate someone else, God's going to make me answer for that. When I use my words to tear down the reputation of someone else in the hearts of others, God's going to make me answer for that. And when I use my words to get back at someone else so that they feel the same hurt I feel, uh, God's going to make me answer for that as well. Um, it's what it means, that every idle or lazy word. Um, so I would rather submit control of my mouth to Jesus now, embrace humility and what the Bible calls wisdom. Um, and in those cases, because sometimes we're still, we can still be like, but, but what, about, what about false prophets? What about false teachers? What about Jesus calling the Pharisees snakes and vipers? I mean, that's not very loving, you know. Um, again, I think our flesh wells up within us to try to justify things. Um, but let's say those are legitimate concerns. If, if you're really concerned about not being able to call out a false prophet when the time comes, um, here's my advice. I would rather say, hmm, I don't agree with that. Here's what the Bible says. Be done. There's no need to go beyond that because I don't trust my heart or my tongue beyond what Scripture says. And so it is a far better place to be to say, let me just, I'm not going to get involved with all that. I'm not going to get involved with assumptions or with trying to discern someone else's intentions or their heart. That's God's business. I'll just tell you what Scripture says and I will testify to the truth of what Jesus has done in my life. And I believe and trust that God is big enough, holy enough, and concerned enough to handle the rest himself. So there should never be a platform for me to tear down someone else for any reason. I wish I could say that I follow my own instructions 100% of the time. If you've been paying attention, you would know that I don't. Um, I'm sure to have a lot less stress in my life if I did. Um, but the Lord, is, the Lord is so good. I'm thankful that he's so good and that he's so gracious and that he's so long-suffering. And that every day he reminds me, Jonathan, it's a daily dying to yourself that creates the space. When you die to yourself, 
and yourself is no longer taking that space, then the space is opened for the Holy Spirit to take those reins, to take that boat wheel or whatever it's called, um, and to have full control, to have true control. And if we're going to be the people that Jesus has called us to be, if we're going to pursue the calling of our church to be a place of restoration, if we're going to fulfill the calling to be Calvary Restore, we have to relinquish control over our words. We have to relinquish control to the only one who can use them for anything good. So let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that, that you are long-suffering and that even though you, you do give us some very stern and sobering warnings in Scripture, and Lord, even though I think the last thing we should do is take those lightly, at the same time, you temper that, that justice and that accountability, you temper that with, with your long-suffering and your grace. But I pray that the grace that we experience in Jesus would so overwhelm us, would, would, would so come to define us that it is what we share with others. Father, I pray we would not be selfish with your grace. I pray that we would not keep it just for us, but that in our words, in our thoughts, we would continually, daily, extravagantly, and lavishly share your grace with others. Lord, I pray that, uh, that every day we would, we would wake up um, with a reminder of your grace, uh, with, with a response to that call to die to ourselves and to give you control over our words. Father, so that you can speak healing, so that you can speak life through us, so that you can further your kingdom and draw glory and pleasure and honor to yourself through us. Father, that's what we are intended for. And I pray that, that you would bring the brokenness where we need it, uh, if there is any pockets of pride in our hearts or in our spirits that we, we protect, Father, would you tear down those strongholds, break our pride, um, and, and, and help us to, to experience the freedom and the joy that comes with humility, that comes with surrender, complete surrender. Uh, Lord, we pray these things uh, for your pleasure and to your glory in Christ's name. Amen.